You're listening to the ASN Kidney News Podcast. In this episode, ASN President Ronald Falk speaks with Frederick O. Finkelstein, clinical professor at Yale and chief of nephrology at the Hospital of St. Raphael. In this episode, Dr. Finkelstein discusses his work in developing countries, delivering nephrology care, and developing programs in acute kidney injury and acute dialysis services. Dr. Finkelstein, welcome, and can you more fully introduce yourself? So I, I'm Frederick Finkelstein. I'm a clinical professor of medicine at Yale and chief of nephrology at the Hospital of St. Raphael. And I've, I've been very interested in delivering nephrology care in developing countries, and particularly in setting up programs for um, treating patients with acute kidney injury with um, acute dialysis services. So Fred, let's talk about those sorts of emergent care that you've provided. You have been in any number of emergent situations. Uh, You have been most interested in setting up uh, peritoneal dialysis programs for acute kidney injury in developing countries. Can you tell us something about that? So it's very surprising to me in many ways that there are about 25 countries in the world which have no dialysis services. So that is that patients who develop acute kidney injury and require dialysis, there is no treatment available for them, and these patients die. And this can be children with volume contraction, um, children and young adults with malaria, um, patients who are, have serious infectious illnesses and develop acute kidney injury. These patients right. will die. Which countries are you services. talking about? So the majority of these countries are in Africa, some are in Southeast Asia. So countries like Tanzania, um, Uganda, um, the Congo, Cambodia. So paint me a picture of what it's like to enter one of those hospitals. Pick any one and describe what it's like. So the, the program that we've established most recently was in Kilimanjaro Christian Medical Center Hospital in Moshi in northern Tanzania. So it's a hospital which is actually has a medical school with it and has a full training program for medical students and residents. But there are no dialysis services offered for patients with either chronic or acute kidney injury. So patients who are hospitalized, for example, with acute malaria and develop acute kidney injury, they'll just die in the hospital. There's no treatment for them. What does a ward look like there? So the wards um, are crowded. There are many patients. The support services are limited because of the, often the financial constraints in the institution. Families are there to provide a lot of the basic support for patients. But the staff that cares for the patients is wonderful. They are caring. They do what they can. They utilize what resources they have. And it's, the, it's watching the relationship between the carers and the patients that is so encouraging and it makes one optimistic about what the future care will be in institutions such as these. How do you actually then set up a peritoneal dialysis program? What are the hurdles? How do you get it done? Finding a staff which is interested. And secondly, training the staff in the basic techniques of PD. So that includes the techniques of catheter insertion for the physicians, so the physicians understand the basic principles of peritoneal dialysis, and the nurses need to be trained in the way to manage exchanges, to care for the catheter, so that you can minimize the infection rate and the complications of the therapy. 
Providing laboratory support is very challenging because many of the hospitals that we visit don't have adequate laboratory support. So another challenge is trying to work with the laboratory um, to develop its support system that lets you care for a patient with acute renal failure with comfort and ease. And then you start peritoneal dialysis. Where do you get the fluid from? One of the challenges, obviously, are the financial resources to support such a program. So uh, an important distinction has to be made between treating patients with acute kidney injury and treating patients with end-stage renal disease. Getting financial support to manage patients with end-stage renal disease is extraordinarily difficult, if not impossible, because once you start down that path, there's no stopping. Patients, you take a young adult, a young child, you put them on dialysis chronically, you are committed for an indefinite period of time. And as those numbers rise, so does the cost. So finding donors, for example, to support such a program is really extremely difficult or impossible. But for acute kidney injury, it's really very different. The costs are very limited. You can set it's going to cost X amount of dollars for each patient. And if you can find donors to support such a program, um, it's, it's very limited. And the lives saved can be very clear. So the hospital helps bear some of the costs? Well, so for example, in the model we use in Tanzania, we used funds that were donated to the Sustainable Kidney Foundation, which is a philanthropic group based in New York, which has funds available to support programs for acute kidney injury. And then you work with the hospital to sort of set aside um, some funds to support the program in the future. And the model we set up is to try to convert the program to a sustainable program after three years. And I was asked the hospital to commit funds, ask the family, the village, um, uh, members of a patient to contribute funds, have the funds set aside in a, in a separate account, which can be used to replenish supplies as the supplies are utilized. So the Stable Kidney Foundation will provide funds to start the program, maintain the program for one, two, or three years with a goal of converting it to a sustainable program after three years. And how successful have you been in, in generating sustainable programs? So the, the, the initial program we set up was this one in Moshi in northern Tanzania, and that program has actually run very well. We've treated 20 patients with acute kidney injury. 14 of those have left the hospital and have survived and done well. Two of the patients had chronic kidney injury, and eventually we decided after 30 days therapy would be terminated because we didn't have the funds to support the patients indefinitely. Others had complications in the hospital. But that program has been up and running. The hospital has set aside the account, as I had mentioned, and the program is running well. How about in some of the other countries that you've uh, tried to do this? How successful have those been? One of the difficulties in working in the developing world, there are political issues that develop or financial issues develop that are beyond your control. For example, we have set up a program in Sihanouk Hospital in Phnom Penh in Cambodia, and a um, trainee spent a year as an ISN fellow um, in New Haven with us and was trained in the basic principles of peritoneal dialysis. We then used some funds from the ISPD to train another physician and a nurse in the basic principles of PD in India, in Hyderabad, India, working with Dr. Nayak. And they went back and set up a program at Sihanouk Hospital, and the program was running well. And then the financial issues sort of developed. The hospital is primarily supported by philanthropic donations from the Japanese 
And after the tsunami stroke in Japan, a lot of that financial support was redirected to Japan, and we've had trouble sustaining the program. So we're looking at reestablishing the program in, in Cambodia now, but taking a slightly different approach and using one of the government hospitals and involving folks from the University of Washington who have an exchange program in Phnom Penh at one of these government-sponsored hospitals. So it sounds like local politics, as one, I guess, would have expected, have a tremendous amount to do with how well these things work long-term or, or not. Well, I guess one of the challenges in nephrology care in the developing world is just what you said. It's, more, it's not just the medicine, but it's the politi- politics and understanding the, the culture in which you're dealing that, that determines whether a program is going to be successful or not, and getting people involved in the institutions who are committed to developing such programs. And do you have help from a multidisciplinary group? Are there nurses who help? Are there pharmacists who help? Or is it, in fact, the family that provides a lot of the extra care? Building a successful program depends on involving all different sorts of folks. You need international organizations to provide the funds, to provide the training, to provide the support. You need the hospital, the nurses and the doctors locally need to be committed to developing the program. And certainly you need the family, and it's often a very extended family, to provide the logistics and the support for the patient, to help care for the patient when they're in the hospital and certainly provide the care once the patient goes home. Tell us uh, an example of your one of your favorite success stories. So the best success story I can tell you was probably the first time I, I did um, I treated a patient with acute kidney injury with PD, and that was in Kabul, Afghanistan, actually many years ago, actually just prior to the Russian invasion. So this was a 19-year-old girl who'd had an abortion in the village and became septic after the abortion, as occurs not uncommonly, who then developed acute kidney injury. Um, and was transported for a day by camel to the highway and then for a couple of days by truck to Kabul and came into the hospital where I was working. And she was making no urine. She'd been anorexic for three days. And we watched her closely in the hospital for four more days. And by the seventh day of anuria, we decided she needed to be dialyzed so she was not going to survive. So we found a perineal catheter and supplies that had been donated to the hospital convinced the hospital to manufacture modified PD solution by just adjusting glucose and electrolytes, performed acute dialysis, treated it with antibiotics. She walked out of the hospital 10 days later, and it was an incredible success story. And during that time, I was able to train the residents in the hospital how to do perineal dialysis. But six months after I left, the Russians invaded and the program collapsed. So it goes back to the vicissitudes of dealing in a developing country where the political situation may be unstable and building sustainable programs becomes a real challenge. Fantastic story, uh, at least the, the care of that particular individual. It sounds like you've been doing this for decades. Are the challenges different or are they the same as they were uh, over the course of time? The challenges, I think, are are very much the same, but I think there's much more interest in providing this sort of care now. And what's great is there's support from international organizations such as the ISN, the International Society of Perineal Dialysis, the International Pediatric Nephrology Association. So there are international groups now that are helping, 
And as perineal dialysis become much more popular around the world, certainly in Asia, for example, um, there is additional support that you can get to develop and maintain a program. So we try to involve sort of local or regional programs in the support of programs in, in developing countries. What does Fred Finkelstein get out of this? As a teacher, a personal satisfaction of teaching individuals to provide care for patients and certainly saving lives, even individual lives, is extraordinarily rewarding. To me, it's, it's the excitement of training and building programs which you know are going to be helpful and save lives. That is extraordinarily rewarding. It's one of the great things you can do as a nephrologist. You listed off several uh, international organizations. What would you ask the ASN to do? Can they help? So one of the things that we've been interested in is to develop a coordination between programs in developed countries and developing countries. So to have a sort of a grid set up where we can understand which developing countries, institutions from the developed world are working in and supporting programs. So one thing we found, for example, when we went to Tanzania to develop the program in Moshi, um, Duke had a insular institution in the hospital doing an AIDS treatment program that had nothing to do with the dialysis program, but they had a laboratory that could support our program. And we knew nothing about that at the time we went there. If there was some way that we could get institutions from the developed world to sort of network together to support programs, that would be fantastic. For example, another example, we developed the program in Phnom Penh, not knowing that the University of Washington has an exchange program and is working to help train physicians in a government hospital in Phnom Penh. And finding that out enabled us to partner with them in now trying to develop programs in Cambodia. That would require an organization to be able to know what services each academic institution, for example, was was providing in any given country, a service outside of what nephrologists typically do. Uh, you're describing an infectious disease service that worked in the environment that you were interested in. It would be important then to figure out who knew on a more global basis uh, which institution had facilities in in various developing countries. Well, I agree with you. I think institutions are working even not in a nephrology domain, but can provide support for a nephrology program which is developing. Partnering will facilitate the development of such programs and will enhance the training of the individuals locally to support such programs. There's no so, question about it. It's such a wonderful idea. Yeah. Uh, well, a good example would be we were also looking at developing a program in Ethiopia. So Ethiopia is is fascinating. It's a country with 70-plus million people. There are no dialysis services in the government-run hospitals anywhere in the country. Anyone with acute kidney injury dies. It's really quite astounding. So we were there looking at if we could develop a program for acute kidney injury at the Black Lion Hospital, which is the main teaching hospital at the University in Addis Ababa. So while we were there, we found out that the University of Toronto is supporting training programs in psychiatry, gastroenterology, cardiology at the university, but had not moved into the area of nephrology. And while I'm there, a 
large donation comes, uh, I mean, a delegation from the um, Swedish hospital in Washington um, developing an intensive care unit at the same hospital. And I looked at this and I said, my gosh, all of us should be working together. If they're developing an intensive care unit, we should build a dialysis program into that. We should be working with the University of Toronto to develop a training program in nephrology. There are one or two nephrologists in the entire country of Ethiopia. But if we all partnered together, just think of what the opportunities would be to enhance care and develop sustainable programs. That's a fantastic vision. Um, what you have done to bring dialytic care to multiple developing countries uh, to care for acute kidney injury is just a fantastic story and one that I really appreciate with uh, you sharing with us and our listeners how to figure out the mechanism by which you could get multiple groups to interact with each other on a more global basis is something that should be your next major goal. Fred Finkelstein, what a fantastic vision. Any other last thoughts? Well, yeah, I guess one thing we've looked at, we've done a cost analysis on this, and maybe it's just worth mentioning what the cost would be because I think it's very interesting. In Tanzania, for example, we've been able to get PD solution at about $5 a bag that's purchased, and we've used a modified CAPD technique to manage these patients, and we've estimated, and we've turned out our estimation has been correct, that the average patient would need dialysis for about 10 days using, say, five bags a day of PD solution. And we're then estimating the total cost for each treatment to be $250 for solution and $100 for the catheter and ancillary supplies. So it comes out to about $350 per life saved by our estimate for what the cost would be. You know, some people need dialysis shorter, some need it longer, but the average we thought would be 10 days. So $350 per life saved seems like a bargain. A wonderful, a wonderful thing to do. Thanks for spending time with us today. This is Ron Falk for the American Society of Nephrology. Thanks for listening. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology. All rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. The information in this podcast should not be used during a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified health care provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the American Society of Nephrology.